Eagle Monday. Know your right. Songs on on SAFM. The dispossession of land through the 1913 Natives Land Act was apartheid's original sin. So it has since hmm, even been questioned. The land question goes back more than a century to the 1913 Natives Land Act, which provided legislative form to a process of dispossession that had been underway since the colonial times. The original sin is 1652, by many accounts, if not before that, with Bartholomew Dyers in the 15th century landing as a Portuguese before he realized that the people were not about to take and go down lightly. Anyway, I digress. We look into the overview of land restitution, the losses and gains, land redistribution, what are the developments, what is needed, and then secure tenure, Section 25, and everything that has become of Section 25. I will introduce Sisbule Basa, Director and Head of the Land Reform Practice, with this very, very short anecdote. Dikang Moseneke, PAC, and this is the context. Dikang Moseneke, year and a bit ago, I was at a dialogue with him and Tembekang Gwaitobi and Adila Hassan, all seasoned lawyers. Judge Moseneke says not once in the time he was a judge at the Constitutional Court did he ever have to sit in a matter where the central question was Section 25 of the Constitution. I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm literally going to allow you to speak. The listeners will interject with their questions by call or voice notes or texts. I'm just going to say land against everything. Redress, redistribution. We heard how hunger is a factor now and how land can be effectively used to address that. Dadembeke before you was talking about he's going back to the Eastern Cape to speak to the government to try and revive those agricultural schemes. This is now land having economic value but addressing a major problem in this country. And then we talk about compensation, I mean expropriation without compensation, and the politics associated with this four-letter word, goodness gracious, land. Where are we? What are we seized with? What are the realities? What are the losses? And above all else, what is still available as a potential gain for the country? You're an expert in the space, so I'm not going to ask questions. I think you can tell me, tell us, engage and inform us Mm. the important questions. Are we even looking at the ball? Thank you, Songezo. I think um, it must have been about five years ago in my practice when we were approached with a matter by a property developer who received a notice of expropriation um, for zero compensation. We got excited. We prepared the matter because that was going to be a law-making matter. And at hand was a certain mayor who, you know, rightly or wrongly, this was prior to elections, thought to himself, there's a big, large area of land near the airport. There was a This is div- now leading to 2019 general elections. Yes. yes. And there was, and, and he um, had written and, and commented a lot in the public arena about how he was going to implement expropriation without compensation. The, the matter landed on my desk. And I think for the first time in my almost 22-year law career focusing on land reform, that was going to be a seminal moment. And of course, just on the eve of the hearing, 
um, the matter was withdrawn. So I have a sympathy for um, Judge Museneke when he says he wishes uh, or he yearns for a moment where we could have a lawmaking matter that looks into Section 25. Because, of course, when you talk about expropriation without compensation, I think we need to understand what we're talking about. A, expropriation is not a novel concept. Expropriation stems from our Roman Dutch law, which, as you know, as a lawyer yourself, (laughs) stems from, is a concept that is actually used by developed countries to take land for purposes of um, building schools and clinics and roads. Eminent domain, they say, Absolutely. That is the U.S. concept. And in Europe um, and, and other jurisdictions, such as um, Germany and 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 um, Netherlands, they use the concept of expropriation. But there's a bit of an, an an anomaly. Expropriation, by itself, allows governments to take land in order to um, for purposes of a public purpose. But it is linked with compensation. So the moment we talk about expropriation without compensation, it's a contradiction in terms because by definition, compensation, expropriation must go with compensation. So South Africa then, having the unique history that we have and, and our contextual history, you will recall, I think it was um, the 54th National Conference of the ANC where we started seeing the genesis or the beginnings of this talk of expropriation without compensation. Nazareth. But you have to exactly but you have to ask yourself what was happening? The EFF has had taken root. The EFF had now started to dominate the conversation around nationalization of mines, the nationalization of the Reserve Bank, and of course the land question became central to that. And I believe that as a response to that, then um, and, and if you remember, in February 20, I think it was 2016, I, I could be wrong, it was actually the EFF that tabled in Parliament for the first time. They did it twice before the ANC sponsored it the third time, yes. Absolutely. And so, and before then, uh, before this talk about expropriation without compensation, the ANC was at pains to explain to investors and everyone else to say, we don't have expropriation without compensation as our policy. In fact, the ANC had adopted a policy that says willing buyer, willing seller. But the and, and that was out of pressure. Let's remember what was happening. The World Bank, the UN, and all of those Bretton Woods um, institutions were pressurizing the ANC to say there was never going to be uh, any threats to property rights and so forth. But in fact, Mm. what had happened is that the constitution that we had adopted in 1996 did not make provision for willing buyer, willing seller. The constitution made provision for just and equitable compensation. Just and equitable compensation means that when land is expropriated, you have to take particular factors into account. You have to look at how the land was gained. You have to look at what capital improvements had happened on that land. You have to look at whether or not the land is needed for land reform and so forth. And so the constitution that we adopted in 1996, in fact, 
already told us that we didn't need to look at a market-based uh, formulation for compensation. It said to us that actually, conceptually, you could expropriate land that could be where the compensation could be less than market value and in certain circumstances, zero. Let me read the Constitution in relevant part to bring more people into the conversation. Ms. Bulelo Mabasa, Director and Head of the Land Reform Practice at the great law firm, Worksmans, as they call themselves. Initially, they were Werksmans. But uh, things have changed. Perhaps she can settle that little debate that yeah, she and I are having. But in relevant part, because we're talking about land and land reform in this country and the implication, political, social, economic, of the kind that it would invariably be, this is what the Constitution says, particularly around compensation. Property, Section 25.2, property may be expropriate only in terms of law of general application, A, for a public purpose or in the public interest, and B, subject to compensation, whatever that is, the amount of which and the time and manner of payment of which have either been agreed to by those affected or decided or approved by a court. Critical. So in other words, there can be expropriation as a law of general application for a public purpose or in the public interest, and the compensation does not need to establish agreement because it can come through a decision of the court. Carry on, please. So already what that tells you, I think the important phraseology there is subject to compensation. Hmm. Now you recall that there, were, there, was, there was a time um, publicly where there was this question, can, can expropriation happen with or without compensation? But I think it's very clear from your reading of it to say, it says it's subject to compensation. It, it can't get clearer than that. It also speaks about the amount right, which tells you that there has to be compensation. It tells you about the time, the timing of when it has to be paid. It speaks about the manner in which it has to be paid. So I think that we've wasted a lot of years, actually, um, trying to decipher or trying to tweak the wording of Section 25 in order to allow zero compensation. In, in circumstances, in my view, where it's very clear mm, that mm. expropriation is linked with compensation, the only debate that we, sh that we needed much? to have is how much, whether it allows for no compensation at all. But there are circumstances that can lead to no compensation at all. If you look at the f four factors, I think you can go through them. The current use of the property, the history of the acquisition and the use of the property, the market value of the property, the extent of direct state investment and subsidy in the acquisition and beneficial capital improvement of the property, the purpose of the expropriation. You know what? This is the danger of political sloganing that develops traction unchecked and aided, unfortunately, by the fact that there isn't a legal question that comes through that's going to have the kind of force and weight that then dispels the notion of willing buyer, willing seller. That concept here does not exist. Not at Certainly all. not as a standalone. It may very well exist in the application of what we have just read. It may be a consequence, but not a premise upon which Absolutely. movement is directed. But for the remember, because this is a polit it's not only a pro the property clause is not just about politics. It's, it, it also about, it's also about the protection of economic rights. And if you're having entities that the government relies upon for funding, like the World Bank and so forth, putting pressure then you start having yes it's a tight rope but you also have this dichotomy between policy on one hand and law 
And so let's just take that example. Let's look at what's happening with all the abandoned buildings. And we try to apply that section. We're saying, what is the what is the purpose of expropriation? Well, we want to make sure that people have um, affordable housing in the city center because it's close to amenities. We say, how much did the landowner, for example, pay for it? Well, maybe it was a donation during the Crown Grant in mm, the 1800s. Mm, mm, mm. So there are circumstances actually where, where government is able to use the clause as it reads to expropriate land for legitimate purposes like land reform. Hold that thought. I have to take a break only because I'm going to be cut out. There are legitimate reasons why government can, should, and is empowered to expropriate. We are going to probe that on the other side of the short break. Legal Monday. Know your right. We're talking the conditions now. The conversation has moved on. Sisbule Lomabasa, Director and Head of Land Reform Practice at Worksman's Attorneys here in Johannesburg, is talking to us about land, land reform, and matters incidental there too. Now, she had said just before the ad break that the government is empowered to expropriate as a law of general application or in the public interest. Let us take that a little bit further. What is a public interest? You mentioned to build a school or to grant people access or to attend to a khrodbuam situation where actually this is public property. It's not mm. being used. You've got people are braving the elements in the Western Cape in the winter. Let us have these families move in there because through Section 25 as applied, we can actually meet a Section 26 right and obligation, housing. So now, what prevents the government from doing that? Or what has prevented hitherto the government from doing that? Why do we not have important landmark choices that have been made, even if they become later on subject to decisions of the court because somebody's not happy for whatever the reason. Why are we not seeing this provision with all the muscle it has to address socioeconomic challenges and backlogs through the empowerment of Section 25, 2 and Sub 3? You know, I think it's also important to distinguish. So I said earlier on that expropriation always goes with a public purpose, like schools and hospitals and so forth. But our constitution, unlike other international constitutions, take this a step further. It also recognizes land reform as something in the public interest. So there's a difference be between a public purpose and public interest. Public purpose, as I said, is road, how train, clinics, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But here in Section 25, I think it's towards the end, I think it's 25, 7, 8, or 9, it specifically says that public interest in our constitution includes the nation's commitment to land reform and water and so forth and minerals, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. it. I mm -hmm. think you'll find it there mm -hmm. somewhere. So South Africa has an even larger obligation than most other jurisdictions that will only look at schools and so forth. Here we have a property clause that specifically identifies land reform as a matter of the public interest. So that's the first thing, right? And another thing that I'd like to point out is that, remember, Section 25 finds itself within the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights are those rights that are stated in the positive. Right to life, right to dignity, right to privacy, right to health. But when you read Section 25, it doesn't start off in the... Po it says no one may be deprived of property unless blah, 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 blah. 
So it's not arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. But what that tells you, it tells you about the story behind it is the tension that existed between the ANC and the National Party during those Kempton Park negotiations. Mm-hmm. This was probably the most contentious thing to put in the Constitution. I that, yeah. And so the first thing that the property clause tells us, it protects Minority property interest, owners. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the very first thing that it talks about. It's only towards the end of it that we start talking about land reform and all the reforms. So it speaks about a balance of power that was so contentious, that was so arduous, that led to this. You can see it even reads like a balancing act, right? But I think I want to speak to, I want to answer your, your, your question more pointedly when you say, this is a tool. Why have we not used it? I, I think I alluded to it before to say when the ANC decided in the early years to adopt a willing buyer, willing seller policy, that was in line with the other, you know, the, the investor. It, 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 it led itself to the investor-friendly um, uh, nature of things. They were coming into government. Um, they needed to show and demonstrate that you know, that property rights would be protected because that was that that, that was the biggest thing in, in most democratic institutions is to protect property rights. Mm, mm. Um number one. Number two, you said you read out that we needed a law of general application. We are now sitting in twenty twenty three. The law of general application that we still rely on today doesn't exist. Is the nineteen seventy five Act. The 1975 Expropriation Act was the one that made provision for willing buyer or market, you know, mm. and, and it didn't have the blessing of the Constitution. I don't understand why the Expropriation Act of 1975 was not outlawed and replaced with an act that would be fought in line with our current Constitution. 